first scripture reading is taken from Isaiah 40, chapters 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. Peter writes, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Well, uh, I hope you're all doing all right today. We're going to continue 
in our series uh, going through Advent on uh, the book of 1 Peter. And last week, if you remember, we talked about our living hope being Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to talk about our, our hope being in the stone of Jesus or the rock that is Jesus Christ. You know, and we're going to actually continue this theme of hope for the next couple of weeks. Andy will be back and he'll talk about our hope and suffering. This is the whole sort of theme of First Peter. He works through all of these hopes that we have. And this morning, we're going to look at this passage and look a little bit deeper into the Advent season and into the imagery he uses here about Jesus being the cornerstone. Um, and what we're going to see is that through Peter and what he's saying to the church, we actually find that we indeed have a new identity, that we have a new community. And so let's look then together at the uh, epistle of 1 Peter in our text. Um, but first, let me actually go backwards. You know, we read the beginning of 1 Peter 1 last week, and then we jumped over a section. So let me just tell you what Peter writes at the end of chapter 1. At the end of chapter 1, 1 Peter tells the people, he tells these people who are presumably new believers, right? He's writing to the church, and this letter was, as, as, as we talked about, meant to be circulated. He's writing to people who have had a major life shift. Consider being a church in first century Turkey where there's 30, 40, 50 Christians in your town and you all came to Christ together when the Apostle Paul came through or when another Apostle came through and you're figuring this stuff out together. And he tells these new believers, whether they be converts from Judaism or whether they be Gentiles who have become Christians, he tells them in in chapter 1, verse 23, that you are no longer like the Israelites were in exile, but you have been born into a new life. Using similar language to Jesus in John four, when he sa- or John three, when he says we must be born again, he says that you, as as a church, have a new life. You have been reborn. And he's in this mode of telling his audience that it's time to live differently. Then, because of that, that you actually, church, have a new identity. That joining the church of Jesus Christ is not just something you do on Sundays for us. But that very affiliation changes our very identity. And so last week we have this living hope in Jesus. And this living hope then, as we see in Peter, leads us to our new identity. Which takes us then to chapter 2. And in verse 1 he says then, get rid of it. It's time to make a life change. Rid yourselves, he says, of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Get rid of it. it, it consider again, these people are, are, are new converts. And, and, and think about yourself when you were a new convert, when you first came to Jesus. You were wrestling through, how do I do this? Right? I was a teenager when I came to Christ, and I just remember thinking through, can I still listen to normal music? Or do I have to listen to all the, the music at the Christian bookstore, right? Um, bear in mind, this was the 90s. So I'm thinking, can I still listen to Nirvana and Pearl Jam? Is that still allowed? Right? What do I do with this? How, how do we balance this new life? And what Peter is saying, he says, get rid of the stuff from your old life, like malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy. You have been reborn. It's time to change your life. Right? 
But it takes some time to figure it out. I mean, I don't know what your story is, but we all have a story. Some of us have been Christians a long time, and we're still sorting it out, aren't we? But he says, get rid of all that. You know, this is the same imagery the Apostle Paul uses in Colossians, right? We did this with our Lenten devotional a few years ago. Put off the old self and put on the new. You remember that? And so he says, once you get rid of all this stuff, once you get past all the stuff from your old life, he says, then like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you might grow up in your salvation. He says, instead, be like an infant. Crave the basics. Simplify your life and look at the things that bring you nourishment. Look at the things that bring you strength and growth and crave those things. Right? And and just so I can say this, church, don't think then that there's, okay, so we have the mature believers and the baby believers, or that, oh, well, I'm past this stage for milk now. No, this imagery he's using us, he's using for us, I actually believe is for each of us every single day. Right? This is not something we just read when we're new believers, but this is something that is helpful for us each and every day. Think about your daily life when you wake up out, when you wake up, when you go out into the world. We each choose each and every day what we will put on. (laughs) Will we pursue those things of our old life? Or will we crave the things of Christ? Because we know, and the reason I say this is because you and I very clearly know that if we do not act like babies and crave the things of Christ each and every day, that sin will come back in our life. The jealousy, the greed, the pride. When we stop trusting in Jesus and craving in the truth of Jesus every single day, the things will start coming back. The sin, the doubt, whatever it is, and that cloud will sort of grow and grow and grow until before we know it, we're under a dark cloud and it's raining and we wonder what happened. See, Peter says this, and I really believe this, not that this is only for new believers, but this is for each of us, that we would crave Jesus that we would no longer crave the things from our old life, the things that led to pain and separation and doubt, but that we would crave that which is from Christ. And and let me just also say this. One of the things I hear all the time as a pastor is the word should. I should. Oh, I know I should do this more. Oh, I should, I should, I should. That's not the language used here, is it? It's not you should do this. It's you should crave this. You should want this. Desire this. Let this come from your heart. Because it's not about a guilt response. It's not, oh, I should do this, so I'm going to read my Bible. I should go to church, so I'm going to get up and go. I want to. Peter says, crave the spiritual milk. Crave the pure spiritual milk so that by it, what? You would grow up in your salvation. And I know this is difficult, but look at Peter's example in verse 3. He says, because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. This is why we remembered in our psalm this morning about the blessings God has given us. This is why we take time to remember how God has been good. 
We have tasted, we have seen, we know that the Lord is good, and so then we crave his goodness. It is not a guilt-shame response that says, oh, Jesus died for me, I should go to church. I want to go and be in church. I want to go and worship. See the difference? And then Peter continues in a way that I think is so, so powerful because he's not just saying we're like babies. He's not just saying, okay, you babies, trust in Jesus, drink from the bottle every day, you'll be fine. But he gives us another imagery. He gives us another metaphor from the Old Testament. And he says, we crave God because God has given us, verse 4, the living stone. God has given us Jesus who was rejected by humans, but chosen by God as precious. What he's saying is you also, church, in the same way Christ was chosen by God, because of Christ, have been chosen. You have been reborn. You have been chosen by God. So not just you're a baby drinking this milk that makes us strong, but that God chose you for this work as we talked about last week. You also, like Jesus, he says, are living stones being built into a spiritual house. And then he quotes these scriptures, right? Isaiah 28, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And when you and I trust in him, we will never be put to shame. And then in Psalm 118, he's quoting Psalm 118 here, the second passage. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Peter is telling us, he's telling you and I, that we, to grow in our salvation, as we drink this spiritual milk in Jesus Christ and in his teachings, we are growing in our salvation. And so we then go to this stone, we go to this Jesus, this rock that we can trust. Even though the world has rejected it, the world will tell you, if you place your faith in that Christ, in that cornerstone, you will be led astray. Peter says, no, God has chosen that cornerstone and it is reliable. And so he says then, you are not just like a baby, but you too are like a living stone chosen by God in Christ to be built into a spiritual house. We together, church, are being built into a temple that houses the presence of God and where we worship together. Isn't this a cool passage? We are to be like babies in our daily need for Jesus, growing together into a royal priesthood, leading others, inviting other people to come into the presence of God and worship and making sacrifices with our very lives to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't this great? Look at our calling we've been given. See, Peter takes this great Old Testament understanding, these Old Testament promises, and then teaches them to us in a way that reminds us that we are without excuse. Church, this is encouraging because it should be encouraging. It should make us want to crave the teachings of Jesus, but it also reminds us that we are without excuse. Look at verse 8. And a stone, see that stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, but that stone also causes people to stumble. It is a rock that causes them to fall. 
They stumble because they disobey the message. See, so this is not just a feel-good, oh, drink the spiritual milk, join the house of God, everything will work out. When we make this decision, when we choose to follow Jesus, when we are reborn, we must understand that we also are without excuse now. That we have no reason to go back to those things of our previous life. Because if we want to reject these teachings, it is up to us now. Because we have tasted and seen what the Lord offers. And if you have tasted and seen what the Lord offers, verse 3, then it's up to you whether or not you reject it or accept it. And if you do choose to accept it, Peter reminds us, verse 9 and 10, then we will indeed be made a royal priesthood. We will indeed be lifted up. We will indeed become part of this holy house that God is building. And so, where do we place our hope? Last week we have a living hope in Jesus, and now we realize this morning that we place our hope in the rock of Jesus Christ, who is our foundation. And if you needed more clarity, let's think about this analogy quickly of a cornerstone, right? It is a simple but a very helpful analogy. This building actually has one. Does anyone know where it is on this building? Has anyone observed it? Any other, like, weird observational people? It's in that corner. On your way out, go outside. At the base of the building, there's a stone with a date carved in it. Actually, fun architectural fact. Many buildings have a cornerstone, and when they set the cornerstone at the completion of the building, they'll carve the date or other historical information that's important about it. In this building, we actually have a cornerstone. It's in that front corner outside, and it has the date. I think it's 27, 1927, something like that. I forget the date, but it's in that corner. Now, what is the point of a cornerstone? Does it look pretty? No. None of you knew it was there, right? It's not for aesthetics. It is a very, very functional thing, right? Um, anyone who's ever done anything building-wise knows what the importance of a cornerstone is. When they started building this building, they set that cornerstone with all the plans and the measurements. They leveled the ground. They doubled and triple-checked. They lined it all up, and they set it perfectly. And from that stone, all the other bricks of this church were laid. If you ever read about cathedral building in the Middle Ages, it's amazing what they could build hundreds of years ago, based on one stone being perfectly set. Giant arches and huge walls based on one stone, excuse me, being fixed in a place. Anyone who's ever built anything knows this. Maybe you've done tile work or maybe you've seen this. I uh, I used to do manual labor in the summers in the U.S. to pay for college. And um, I worked for a construction company. And I remember the first time I ever did siding on the side of a building, you know, those panels that keep the weather out. And um, I remember this guy, his name was Fred. Fred was a great guy, but Fred was meticulous. And we spent the entire morning doing the first row of siding around this, like, small exterior building. And I thought, this is crazy. Why are we taking so long? He has the level out with the string, and he's measuring it, and then he goes around and double checks, and he changes it. And I just just remember thinking... 20 years old, right? 19 years old. I think I have it all figured out. Fred, let's move on. We're going to be here all night. We're supposed to do the siding in one day. And he said, Sam, if you don't get the first level right, the rest of it is going to be horrible. I said, what are you talking about? He said, just trust me. 
We spent all morning just getting the first row done. And then after lunch, the rest of it went up easy. Line it up to the bottom one. Click, click, nail gun. Pop, 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 pop. Next one. Six inches, great. Pop, pop, pop. And then it was done in three or four hours. And anyone who's ever done this knows how important it is to get that base level right. If you do this with tiling, try a tiling project sometime in your house. (laughs) And if there's a tiny little microscopic dip, what happens by the top? It looks like this. It's a wave. The cornerstone is important, and it is a very cool analogy that Peter gives us. In our life, no matter where we come from, no matter where in the world we're from, no matter what our background, no matter how old, how young, how new of a Christian we are, we have a marker that keeps us in line. We have a stone that lines us up with how God would have us live. And that is Jesus Christ. And that is his teachings. And that is his words. And that is how he has called us to live. And when we fall, when we fail, when we deviate from him, this is what he's talking about. That stone, when we deviate from that lineup, that cornerstone that we've been given, we fall. It doesn't work. We end up wondering, how did I end up with all this sin? How did I end up with all this struggle? How did I end up with all this doubt? And we look and we realize it's because we've deviated from the cornerstone. We thought being aligned with Jesus wasn't so important, or we didn't crave the spiritual milk thinking we had it all figured out. And then we ended up in some place we didn't know we were. We sometimes think, oh, I've been a Christian a long time. I don't need the the milk anymore. Yes, you do. (laughs) Each and every day we need to crave the spiritual milk found in Jesus Christ. Because it is that that builds us into the royal priesthood. It is that that keeps us aligned with the cornerstone so that you and I together. Remember, this is not just individual. One stone cannot make a building. This is communal. Together we come together and align ourselves with the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And we are built into a holy temple. And if this is true to the positive, then it's true to the negative. Church, we cannot align ourselves with Jesus. We cannot come into Advent every single year and say, yes, I align myself with Jesus. Yes, he is my hope. Yes, I trust in him. And then go and live life however we want. We cannot praise God for sending his son every Christmas season And then go and live in whatever manner we see fit. We just can't. The two do not align. You cannot align with Jesus as the cornerstone and do whatever you want. And live in a way that is full of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy. You just can't. Peter says you are made new. Your very identity has changed. You are a stone to be built into a royal priesthood with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so those of you who have chosen to follow Jesus, we know who our cornerstone is. We know where our measurement is. We know how we shall align ourselves. And that is to Christ and his teachings. For those of you who maybe have not made this decision, for those of you who are on the fence, for those of you who have left this decision and wonder what your future might hold, know this. There is a God who is good, who loves us. And sent Christ, 
Not as a measuring stick for guilt or shame so that we would not feel good enough. He sent Christ who was rejected by people so that we would know we are accepted in the same way he was accepted by God. And that through him, through this Jesus, we have the ability to be free of all of that stuff he mentions in verse 1. We have the ability to be free of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. We are promised a royal priesthood. And so we do not go back and forth from one life to another. We do not pretend that we can live any way we want and then on Sundays say, no, 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 I'm aligned with the cornerstone. No. It doesn't work that way. When we say we believe in the living hope of Jesus, we align ourselves with who he is. And together, as a community, we become a royal priesthood. Our hope is in the rock that is Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, his church, our fellowship together, our worship together. And all of this is made possible because of Advent. All of this is made possible because our God was so good, he saw fit to say, let me invite you in. And let me do it in a way that the world would think is absolutely crazy. So when we wonder where we're going, when we wonder where we're lost, we're hurting, we're alone, when we wake up and we wonder, how did I get here? Stop. And let us align ourselves with Christ. Let us look to the cornerstone and see where we are and how we got there. Church, this takes humility. It takes humility for us to acknowledge that we've wandered away from Christ. It takes humility to line ourselves, to look around other stones around us, to look to our brothers and sisters in Christ and acknowledge to them that, hey, we've wandered away. But when it comes down to it, you and I, we need to crave this. Because if you feel like this is an obligation or a burden, I should tell you from past experience, it's probably not going to (laughs) work. We need to crave this. We need to believe that this spiritual milk is what brings us to a royal priesthood. If you want one more analogy, I'll just use the words of Jesus. At the end of Matthew 7, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he gives this wonderful teaching. And what does Jesus say? The wise person builds his house upon the rock. Church, if we are wise, we will build our house upon the rock. We will build our house upon the cornerstone. We will build our very lives together with one another upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, his teachings, his precepts, his examples. And when someone tries to pull us away, we will look at the cornerstone and we will say, no, that would take me out of alignment with what he is doing in my life. And I will stay here. I will stay firmly planted where he would have me. And so let us then consider, where are we building our lives? Are we building our lives upon the rock? Or something else. I don't know what it is. But I know. I know in my life experience. 
that whenever I've ended up in a place that I did not recognize, a place of hurt and pain and lostness, it's because I was not aligned with the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And so may Advent remind us of the good things God has done. May we remember that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And may you and I, as sisters and brothers in Christ, crave that which is spiritual from our God. May we rest in the sure foundation of Jesus Christ and his teachings. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, our hope is in you and you alone. Period. Lord, when we stray from you, when we wander from you, when our ideology, our beliefs, our theology, our our perspective and how we see the world strays from this cornerstone, Lord, I pray that we would be surrounded by other stones that you have called that would remind us of how we should align ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to get rid of everything from our former life and that we would trust in you to grow us into a royal priesthood that you have destined us for. Lord, I thank you for Peter. I thank you for his words. May they inspire us not to guilt or shame. Lord, may they inspire us to passion and craving for your word and for more of you. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.